where we talk about movies over cocktails. Today is a very special one for us as we are celebrating our one year anniversary of the podcast. Woo! So, <laughs> so with that, we'll be doing things like a little differently today. So we've talked about a lot of movies this year, but there's also a lot of films we haven't gotten to talk about. So being the movie lovers that we are, there have been a lot of new films and a lot of rewatching we've done so far this year. So today, that's what we'll be talking about. A year of movies, all the good, the bad, and the Netflix originals. Uh, so th- this is a bit embarrassing. I-, I didn't do a cocktail this week. <laughs> what are you so talking about, Nick? Oh, God. <laughs> what are we going to do? But that's okay. We brought in a guest cocktail maker to celebrate one year anniversary. Yeah! Thank goodness, since Nick's really slumming it over here. Yeah. One year and you still can't get you it right. No, I just decided to take the time off. You slacker. I know. <laughs> but we have a very special guest with us today. So one of our favorite local cocktail creators, Emily Butler's here with us. Hey! <laughs> so Emily has been bartending for 11 years, getting her start at Black Sparrow and Lafayette Indiana. I almost said Louisiana because there's a Lafayette there too. Uh, she participated in a number of cocktail making competitions and won the 2018 Angels Envy competition at South Bend, Indiana. Wow. Love Angels Super. Envy. That's Impressive. amazing. Uh, her career in the industry is extensive and we are so lucky to have her on the podcast with us. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank I, I know I keep slapping the table, but I'm just so excited that we're here. <laughs> I'm excited too. So what, what have you created for us today? Um, so I wanted to create something that would be like a really easy kind of anytime drink. Um, and my favorite things that are kind of go-to in the summertime, I usually go towards gin or tequila in the summer mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because gin is just so refreshing. And anybody who tells me they don't like gin has just not found the right gin. They just don't know it. Because they're also different. <laughs> they are. I mean, it's literally just... I mean, a lot of people will say it's vodka, but infused with herbs. So there's all sorts of different varieties of it. Most commonly, people are associated with, like, the pine needle juniper thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so my favorite summer drinks are either a gin fizz, which is just a classic cocktail that has egg white and soda water, gin, lemon juice. It's kind of like a Tom Collins, but it's got egg white in it. And then um, French 75s, which are another gin cocktail but those usually classically are served up without ice and then they're topped with prosecco um so i just married them together and i did a vanilla infused simple syrup with fresh muddled blueberries lemon juice uh egg white and gin and then once i did a shake up instead of using soda water i used prosecco um i like the vanilla because it makes it taste kind of like sorbet yeah, it's, it's delicious. It's so good. This is easily the fanciest cocktail we've had on this, <laughs> on this show. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Watching you make this, I was like, oh wow. Yeah. She's legit. <laughs> this is the difference. This is what a professional does with her cocktail. Which we knew. That was the whole point. But it's such a pretty drink, too, because, yeah, at first, 
I had mentioned while you were making it that I thought it was going to be kind of blue or purple or something because of the blueberries, but it's got this really gorgeous gradient. So it's kind of like this like purpley pink at the bottom and it kind of transitioned to this really light yellow and then you've got the egg white on top and you did this really cute like lemon what do you call that when you do the so garnish? It's like a spiral swath. A spiral swath on Ooh. top. It's so, so the, the lemon garnish on cocktails are called swaths. What? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's not all just Like a when garnish. you're writing down a cocktail, it'll say like has lemon swath, orange swath. Oh, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Wow. I'd have no idea. I'd be at the store yeah, looking for a swath. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, do you have swaths? <laughs> They'd be yeah. like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, There's all sorts of like odd terminologies in bartending that you don't really hear outside of bartending. Yeah. That is one of them. Well, this is such a good drink because I think for us, one thing that you asked about was a theme. And this episode is kind of unique because we don't have a specific theme. It's kind of a a catch-all. And so having a drink that's a combination of your two favorites that are also, I mean, this would be good any time of year. You know, it's refreshing, it's light, but also... It's got the Prosecco and the gin, so it's good for a party, too. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) it's got a little bit of all of it. And you just recently got a new position, which is very exciting. And you said that you are doing some um, cocktail creation for this new Yeah, I'm going to be uh, co-writing cocktails. There's, um, they've had a lead bartender for a while. His name is Brett. And he is really talented, but people are wanting to talk to him more and more. And so they wanted somebody else who kind of, like, could hold the ship with him. So that way he can go out and have customer, like, experiences and conversations while also having somebody else who had, like, that kind of experience behind the bar. And so we're going to co-write menus together and just, I'm really excited about it. So That's very exciting. They're, like, I don't know, it was just, I've never, like, it's been a long time since I walked into somewhere and I was like, this feels like a puzzle piece that is fitting into place. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty stoked about it. That's exciting. Well, congratulations. That's really cool, too. I think, you know, well, a question I have is how long did it take you you to, like, start feeling comfortable enough to start, like, really coming up with cocktails on your own? Because for me, it's just, like, the idea of doing anything off book is so intimidating. Um, That's actually kind of, like, a a really long question, but I'll sum it up as quickly as I can. Um, (laughs) So, um... I actually, one correction about my bio, I didn't start at the Black Sparrow, but that is where I fell in love with making cocktails. Mm. So, actually, the first place I ever bartended when I was 21 was Venturi. Okay. So, I worked at Venturi, and I learned how to make, like, Negronis and Martinis and things like that. And then I kind of did a lot of, like, odd bartending jobs throughout the years after that, but I was a barista mainly. Um, I was a barista from the time I was 16 until, like, I overlapped my time at Common Spirits, so I did it for 12 years. Okay. Um, but I was really into coffee for a long time, and I was, like, super into it. I took classes in Chicago with Counterculture Coffee and, like, went and got my international certification. Wow. And, like, I got tattooed a coffee cup on my arm when I did that. And just, like, so that was kind of, like, one creative outlet that I had. And I, like, realized at one point I didn't want to do non-creative work in my life. Um, so when I started bartending at the Black Sparrow, um, they hired me as a server and a bartender. Everybody kind of did everything there. Mm-hmm. They had me sit down with the manager every week, and he'd tell me the history of bourbon, the history of gin, the history of Pisco, the history of, you know, whatever. 
and he would have me sit down and we do um, like small tastings of things so that I knew how to compare my palate to different things. And wow. he wanted to make sure that I had in-depth knowledge before I stepped foot behind the bar. Wow. And then he also made me pour water with simple syrup in it for three days straight to make sure I could do a good pour before mm-hmm. I was allowed to start pouring bottles. Um, and it was intense and it was something that made me realize how much appreciation and craft they put into their cocktails. And the girl who did like the main menu there was very creative and very interesting. And she encouraged me to like learn about wines, learn about Amaro's, learn about all these different liqueurs and like practice with them, practice at home. And so I would go home with my friend Amy sometimes and we would sit and make cocktails. And actually one of the first cocktails I ever made on my own at home was a gin fizz. And mm-hmm. I had used, I think it was like Tangeray London number 10. <laughs> and when I made it, it tasted like lemon sorbet. And I was like, this is delicious. Like, this is cool. And I made that. And I was like so excited about it. And like after that, I was like, I have to keep doing this. What an interesting, like, I don't know, as far as looking at cocktails, when you said you you don't want to do anything that isn't creative. I think I see cocktails as being equal parts like creative and analytical in a way because you have to know how everything goes together like taste wise and also portion wise like that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of it Mm -hmm. because you know you don't want to be pouring like four ounces of gin and you know a half an ounce of lemon juice and calling it good but then also like there are so many different flavor profiles and there's just a lot of thought that goes into it yeah that's the the thing that I enjoy the most about it and like, when I moved up here to work at Common Spirits, I, like, sat down with Jamie when she was working on her original menu, and, like, we went over recipe after recipe after recipe, and, like, she let me have as much creative freedom as I wanted. She wanted me to make menu items for her. And so when we first opened, I had a lot of cocktails on the early menus, but that was before we started putting our names on it, so a lot of people didn't recognize mm-hmm. that that was a thing that was going on. And then I think it was like two years in, Jamie's like, oh, I should really be putting your names on there. And we were like, oh, that would be cool. <laughs> and like, none of us were offended at any point in time, but it was just like, she had this moment of like, oh, I should recognize my employees because they're really good at things and I want people to know how good they are at it because she's really good at things like that. Like, well. And then people can also yeah. say thank you. Like, well, it also made it easier for us when we wanted thing. to go back and search something we had previously made. Because Ryan would keep, like, kind of, hey, this is a cocktail you made. I have the recipe for it in my computer. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like so, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's been really helpful because, like, I also can just search through my text messages with Jamie because I never delete text messages. I don't know. <laughs> I can go back, like, years of text messages and just search the name of one of my cocktails and find it in there. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and so for everybody listening, we've mentioned these places before, but Common Spirits, local cocktail bar, um, really great cocktails, great staff, always. And then uh, Venturi is a um, wood-fired pizza place. What's it called? Not wood-fired. Neapolitan. 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 It's one of 50 certified kitchens in the country. Which I think, oh, man. Like, what a gem to have in such a small town. Tiny town. And Mm -hmm. all of these places have really cool bars too even Venturi it's a small place it's a small bar but the drinks are good mm-hmm. and you know they have good stuff there mm-hmm. like your access to your top shelf liquors or you know even medium shelf that then tastes like top shelf 
I think everybody has a really good understanding of that here, which I think is really cool. It also gives you, like, an opportunity to try things that you've never had before. Like, uh, I remember at Venturi, they had, like, a Jalisco sour. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was brand new to me. I had no idea what Jalisco was or, like, Jalisco cherries. Like, you know, it was Mm -hmm. kind of a learning experience as well as a dining experience. Yes. Yeah, they introduced me to Strega. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good I, old Strega. Because yep. they would do Strega sours and they were delicious. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and we just had Strega straight up. Like, yeah. we would just do shots of it because we had a family a family friend who was Italian. Yeah. And that's what they would drink was Strega. Yeah. We would just get it. Nona. Nona cup. Yeah. And her Strega. <laughs> <laughs> Filling her cup with the Strega. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, as far as, like, your experience with cocktail competitions, because that's something that I don't think any of us have ever really experienced before. What's that like? What's that kind of environment like? Um, I mean, there's all sorts of different types of mm-hmm. cocktail competitions. Like, um, there's, like, usually it's a brand that'll put it on, but sometimes there is, like, an event that'll be happening and they'll be doing like a type of drink or like whatever they'll have like a whole bunch of different people at a venue and they have the people doing a bunch of different sponsored things like it just kind of depends like I've done a few cocktail competitions um Angel's Envy was actually my first cocktail competition um and then I have done a Fernet one I did that one when I was pregnant um I'm trying to think I know there's one more but I don't remember what it was honestly but, like, they're all different. Like, so the Fernet one, I went down to India, and that was a partnership one. So I had partnered up with a bartender that I knew, and we went down there, and we had worked on creating a cocktail together, and it had to have Fernet in it, mm-hmm. and I think it had to have a specific type of rum or something. Mm-hmm. So we vanilla-infused a Mount Gay rum, because, no offense, Mount Gay, you're not very good. Um, <laughs> um, Can only go up from there. Sorry. Hot um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we vanilla-infused it, and we did, like, I don't even remember everything that went in it. I know it had cinnamon, and I know at one point we played with banana, but I can't remember if we actually ended up using banana. It had Carpano Antica in it, which is a vermouth. And then we did a toasted marshmallow over the top of it. And it was really good. And we actually, like, the judges went in the parking lot and got in a fight over whether or not we were going to place in this competition because of how much they liked our drink. But they decided because of a few factors, one of them, me being pregnant, and they didn't think I'd be able to travel to finals, they decided to go with somebody else. And it was fine. I didn't take offense to it. They actually offered to come visit at some point and do an event for us. If we wanted. That is so cool. I mean, the fact that they were yeah. about to have a fight in the parking lot says a yeah. lot. Well, she gave me her number and, like, we actually text. She sent me things during the pandemic, like, That's and incredible. that was, like, the the brand ambassador for all of this region. She lived in Louisville and, okay. like, she sent me a bunch of bandanas and stickers during the pandemic <laughs> because I wanted to make for net masks. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty amazing. That yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, and the Angels Envy one was um, kind of like a Hell's Kitchen type of situation where they gave us a bunch of ingredients, and then we had to, like, we had three different rounds. There was one that was, like, speed. Um, a lot of people dropped off after the speed round, and then they had, like, kind of a, um, like, an accuracy part, and then they had one where they had us pick a classic cocktail, and we had to do a rendition on it based on the ingredients that we had in front of us, and we weren't allowed to go over a certain amount of ingredients 
which I don't think you should ever do that anyway as a bartender because it's the same thing with good food. You put too much in it, you lose the good flavor. Agreed. Um, so I used a chamomile-infused bourbon and lemon bitters and blackberries, and I made a riff on a mint julep. Ooh. And That's really good. That sounds amazing. Yeah, everybody else was doing... I mean, they had different drinks, but there was like a riff on a Manhattan and a riff on a Sazerac and a riff on like one other cocktail, but... One of them put so many ingredients in it, they disqualified themselves. Um, (laughs) Another girl didn't even taste her cocktail, and it was completely off balance. And then the other one, she just, it just wasn't quite as good as mine. And so I won that competition. It was very exciting for me, because I had never competed in anything. I had only been bartending up here for a couple of years. It was 2018. Yeah, how how old were you in 2018? Uh, 28. 28. <laughs> I was like, what? I wasn't 29 yet. I was 28. That's yeah. impressive. So. That's a, you know, a young career, a young win. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, especially in that Hell's Kitchen type environment where you're just given a bunch of stuff and said, make something. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever compete again, though, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not for me. I'm like, I'm confident enough in what I do. And like, I know that I'm good at what I do. And I don't really like um, standing in front of a bunch of people telling them how good I am at things. Mm. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah. and you know, that competitive streak is not for everybody. You know, it's just yeah. like there are things you do recreationally that you wouldn't. I like sand volleyball, but I'm trash at it, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. go and like compete in a sand volleyball. Were you tournament. there the day that I jumped away from the volleyball? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hot take: We're both on the <clears throat> sand volleyball team together, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I am curious though, like because you said you grew up with uh, barista as, mm-hmm. a, as a barista, how much of that influenced or helped that with that transition? Because there is there is like precision. They're with that. very similar. Yeah, believe it or not, um, a lot of people I think don't realize how similar they can be, um, because um, did you know that if you use a different kind of milk, uh, as far as like just cow's milk that it completely changes the flavor of the drink because it completely changes the flavor of the drink. When they do competitions, I was really into coffee competitions. Yeah. Like, that stuff's intense. And I'd watch the World Barista competitions, and yeah. they like there were certain people who would raise cows on specific diets for these competitions to do, wow. like, there was, like, one they only did clover diet so that they had a clover, like, tasting milk for their competition. And it's just, like, intense. Yeah. And it's kind of the same that kind of translates over. And one of the other things I really love is the origins of coffee and like, Mm. like the history of it and how, you know, depending on where it grows and the altitude where it grows changes the way that the bean tastes completely and Mm. just the way that it roasts. And it's very similar to wine in that aspect. And that's like kind of how I kind of started moving over is I was like, Oh, wine's really interesting because I got really drunk one night on Chianti and then I switched to Cabernet and I was like, Whoa, these days totally different. And it was like my mind, my 23 year old brain was just blown. I was like, that tasted like bell peppers and this tastes like cherries. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) That is too funny. Well, and that's interesting you say that about the roast too, because I think it, you know, it's also like, are you importing your ingredients? Are they like local, fresh? Like you can taste 
that in whatever you're making. And you can taste that in cocktails too. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're using like local ingredients or not, oh, or not so much the liquor because liquor is liquor, but you can tell the difference between liquors yeah. though. Absolutely. Well, whenever somebody asks me like, why doesn't my drink taste as good at home as it does at the bar? I'm using mm-hmm. the same ingredients. I always ask them if they fresh squeezed their juice. Mm-hmm. And almost always they say no. Yeah. And I said, that's why. That's the big one. That's, that's the, the reason. Yeah. The if difference. you don't use fresh juice, it will never taste as good. Yeah. yeah. I think fun. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, so I have one final question for you, and that is, this year, what was your favorite movie that you watched? Ooh. I know, I kind of came out of the blue with that so one. Hard. I know. And, like, let me think for a second, because... Actually, I just watched a movie that I was pretty into, and it was uh, Last Night in Soho. <gasps> we watched yeah. that. I yeah. really, what do you think? I loved it. I mean, I actually watched it two nights in a row, oh. and I never do that with movies, but I loved it so much that I was like, Steve, you have to sit down and watch this with me. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty intense, too. It's got a lot going on. Yeah, so. but it's just like, well, and that's the lady from Queen's Gambit, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. oh my God, but it was so good, mm-hmm. and I was just like okay, I, I see you, like, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie that, like, actually, like, oh, uh-huh. okay. Uh-huh. It's, it's kind of confusing in the genre a little bit, too, because it's got so much going on. Like, right, well, and, it, you know, some things. It's a little unexpected. Yeah, there was, like, a little twists I didn't expect to happen, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, yeah, I think that was probably most recently the one that I've enjoyed the most. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad you watched that. We did a special episode on just about that movie. And we watched it together. Oh my god. It was really hard to not talk about it the whole way through. I know. I kept wanting to pause it and talk about it. Well, my sister was trying to talk to me. She was sitting in the room with me and like a lot of times at night we'll just like sit and chit chat. This night she's trying to talk to me and I was like you need to. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love you. Go play your video games. I need to watch my movie. You cannot. That is, yeah. Last Night in Soho is not a movie that you can watch. There's so many details. And do something else. Yeah. Like, you no. really have to pay attention to it, but you want to pay attention to yeah. it because it's so captivating. Well, and then I was nervous that it was, like, one of those movies that I was just going to like and Steve was going to be like, oh, okay. So, like, when he watched it with me at the end of it, I was like, what'd you think? What'd you think? And he was like, that's really good. I was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just me. It's like this relationship can progress. Now. <laughs> yeah, like it's okay. <laughs> it's forward. It's quite. It's quirky. You never know with yeah. these kind of movies how they're gonna hit people. Yeah. But when even the trailer for it is kind of it, it makes you think a certain way, and then you actually right. watch it, and it's yeah. totally different. Yeah. So different. Oh my gosh. So different. Very unexpected. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's like the best way to celebrate our one year anniversary. (laughs) Thanks so much, Emily. And uh, for any of you listening, definitely check out the restaurant that she is working Uh, at now. 110 Craft Meadery. Amazing. Okay, well, you can catch Emily Butler at 110 Craft Meadery meadery but we got her right here right now and we're gonna keep sipping on these cocktails thank you so much emily you're welcome yes cheers cheers Cheers. 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 okay so now that we have our cocktails like we mentioned earlier we're gonna talk about some of the movies that 
we haven't talked about yet this year. So I think for both of us, we've had a lot of new movies that we've seen, some old movies, some rewatches, um, just to kind of encapsulate a year of us and what we were feeling at different times and what sounded good, you know? So I'm excited to hear about your list, Taylor, and I'm curious how much it overlaps too, because we haven't talked about the movies that we haven't talked about. That's you know true, I mean? yeah, yeah. I am curious how much overlap there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have kind of a short list. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but these are the ones that I definitely remember watching and so far this year. Um, and this first one is the first movie I had seen in theaters post-pandemic. Mm. And that is Spider-Man No Way Home. So I'm a... I'm a big old slut for the MCU. <laughs> when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you, you, you'll you bet that I'm probably going to be at the theater watching it. So definitely saw Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I really liked it. It was kind of a... I mean, I'll try not to give spoilers away, but yeah, like, I think in terms of when there's a three-part or, you know, a trilogy of movies... I always gravitate towards the middle one, so the second movie, Mm. because I feel like the first movie spends a lot of time establishing the characters, establishing the world, and then in the second movie, they have a lot of room for all the kind of fun antics and action without having to, like, explain who these people are and where we're at and, like, how, what their relationships are, because all that was established in the first movie. But then in the third one, I feel like things kind of wind down mm. and you you get these like conclusions for these characters and relationships that are kind of I don't know I feel kind of melancholy about it and so it's like oh like No Way Home was definitely melancholy yeah like it just wasn't it doesn't make me feel happy at the end it made me feel very sad and you know it was was a good movie I loved it you know I loved all the um I guess I'll just say the cameos that were were in it um I don't want to spoiler spoil it for anybody but there was a lot of um I think spoiler it is totally acceptable okay but yeah there's a lot of callbacks (laughs) to the original Spider-Man movies Mm -hmm. and the Tobey Maguire movies and the Andrew Garfield movies and um you know with Willem Dafoe and um oh Doc Ock I can't remember his name but you know what's interesting I don't know how you felt about this but I liked Andrew Garfield in this Spider-Man better than I did in his own Spider-Universe. So I'll admit I have not seen any of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man <gasps> movies. And that's not part of the MCU. So Lady. I feel like, Yeah. Um, I think that was when those were coming out, I definitely had like superhero fatigue. Mm. Um, I was kind of tapped out. I was like, okay. That's fair. Seen it, been there, done that. Like why like I don't know. Mm-hmm. And also the Tobey Maguire ones definitely went in a direction that was kind of like, huh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I have heard people say that Tobey Maguire played a good Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield played a good Peter Parker, and Tom Holland does a good job of doing both. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Hmm. So, yeah, kind of interesting. But I loved all the people kind of um, rehashing their characters or, like, coming back into the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Willem Dafoe. I love Willem Dafoe. Same. And him as the, what was it? The, green Goblin. The Green Goblin and that laugh. That laugh, I'm like, oh, man. Also, I feel like everyone else, they have to CGI in that film to look younger. But Willem Dafoe has looked old his entire life. Yeah, he's got those, like, (laughs) those creases, his eye creases, and he has such an expressive face, and I love Willem Dafoe. He's incredible. He's one of those people that I would love to see him on stage. Oh, I feel like great. He has oh that energy. Gosh. And just like such a strong, jolting presence. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So Spider-Man No Way Home for sure. And um, just keeping on with the MCU. I saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Saw that in theaters. Loved it. I mean... It did, definitely had, like, those horror elements because it was directed by uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah. It was, like, the Evil Dead franchise. and How did you feel about that? Because you're not a big horror person, but I liked it because it had some more, some darker elements to it. Yeah, there were definitely scenes that I found very, like, disturbing and off-putting. <laughs> but, uh, but I thought it worked. You know, they're depicting this multiverse where you don't know what's going to happen because it's a multiverse and there's all these different realities and craziness. I did like, um, I guess how they vilified Wanda. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd be interested to listen, to hear someone's perspective who hadn't watched WandaVision. Like if you went and saw this Ooh. movie and you didn't watch WandaVision... Like what? Like what would your perspective be? Because it would be that's a hard leap to to take with what happens to her character. It'd be very confusing. I think it is interesting that they've started to lean into the different shows that they're doing the TV series mm-hmm. to kind of lift up the movies. Because my assumption is that a lot of people would not have seen this, but also um, the animated series. What's that? What, what if, if? Yeah. You know, what if comes into play in mm-hmm. several scenarios also, which I haven't seen all of. Because personally, I'm not a big cartoon person. I'm fu- I'm fine with them, but I really have to be in the mood for it. For sure. And with WandaVision, I was like, yeah, of course I want to watch this. But with what if, I, ha- I really haven't. So I think you lose some context there for sure. Definitely glad I got to see it in theaters because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very cool, kind of action-packed film that was great to see on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also recently saw Thor Love and Thunder. How was it? I've not seen it. It was very good. good. Um, I love Taika Waititi. Me too. I think he's a great writer, filmmaker, actor. He's kind of like a triple threat and just so funny and so just, I don't know. I love how he kind of revitalized the Thor character and, like, the Thor franchise because, like... The first two movies the first sucked two, so hard. I didn't mind the first one, but, yeah, the second Ugh. one for sure was a, well, a low garbage. point in the MCU. And, like, Taika definitely revitalized Yeah, Ragnarok Thor. was I love so good. 
I had to be convinced to watch Ragnarok. That was one that I, because I was so disappointed by the first and second that I just had no, no space in my heart for a third, because I really love Thor, and I grew up LARPing, and so live action role play, and I was in a, um, like a Viking historical group and Thor and Ragnarok and all that it was like a part of it we would like dress up and go to the movies and the first two were just so so bad that I but Ragnarok was so funny and really good and wasn't Jeff Goldblum in the in Ragnarok Mm -hmm. yeah Jeff Goldblum who is my one true love yes (laughs) so good oh I love Jeff Goldblum as like what was it the Grandmaster and such a good the Hulk and mm-hmm. it just yeah it's very good so yeah Thor Love and Thunder was good for sure um honestly Christian Bale was the star of the show in my opinion like really? him yeah his villain because he has this like necro sword and he's mm-hmm. the villain in the movie like his performance and I'm not kind of not a big Christian Bale fan, but his performance in Thor Love and Thunder as the villain was phenomenal. Like, he definitely stole the show, and I almost felt like it was his story. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was very, very good. And yeah, Natalie Portman reprises her role Mm. as um, Jane Foster. Yeah. Dr. Jane Foster, yeah. And that was like a fun little departure for her character, because she plays Thor, Mm-hmm. Or, you know, she's a, her own special version of Thor. Right. And so, and and yeah, it, it was great. I definitely recommend It's still out in theaters, so if you haven't seen it, go see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Jeff Goldblum, another movie I saw was Jurassic World Dominion. Ooh, what do you think? I really liked it. Um, it definitely pulls on those nostalgia strings because it brings back like Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and um oh I can never remember his name the main guy mm-hmm. oh, gosh, from the original it, movies. but yes I know who you're talking but it about. brings mm-hmm. back those three and and they join forces with um Bryce Dallas Howard and uh Chris Pratt yeah Chris Pratt but it also introduces a lot of new characters, and mm. I will say that in Jurassic World Dominion, the dinosaurs are much scarier and creepier, because you know how recently paleontologists have kind of come to the conclusion that, like, some dinosaurs may have had, like, feathers? hmm Or, like, been more, like, bird-like? Right. Well, this movie definitely took that, and there were some, like, bird-like dinosaurs that were terrifying oh like gosh. nightmare fuel and I was like no <laughs> it, oh was my so, it was so creepy but uh because there was one dinosaur that had these like claw spike hands but it was also like had a long neck and it had like feathers and oh it was so creepy but freaky looking very freaky looking yeah and I was like nope I don't like that they're definitely not land before time dinosaurs anymore Mm -mm. it used to be they were very approachable (laughs) and now they're saying that triceratops didn't even exist 
there were just all these mistakes that were made when putting these dinosaurs together, right, from their remains. And in my mind, that's a little horrifying. Yeah. You know? For sure, for sure. Yeah, so Jurassic World Dominion definitely runs with that concept. And yeah, some of the dinosaurs that they depict is just... They're terrifying. Mm. But um, I liked seeing it on the big screen. I thought it was it was a fun summer flick. Yeah. Um, another movie that I watched this year, and this isn't a new movie, but um, it's called Shop Girl. Have you no, seen No, I it? have not seen that. So it's based on a novella written by Steve Martin. Ooh. And, um, and Steve Martin actually has... Like, he's an author. Like, he's written a lot of different, mm-hmm. like, books. Like, fictional books. And he's also done non, you know, um, nonfiction. But, anyways, this is based on a novella by Steve Martin. And Steve Martin stars in it with Claire Danes and Jason Schwartzman. Okay. And it's definitely, like, a... I wouldn't call it a rom-com, but it's definitely this, like, romantic drama... Okay. And, like, Claire Danes plays the shop girl, so she works at a department store, and she kind of has, you know, a love affair with, like, a younger man and an older man, and it's just this, like, cyclical story of, like, love and loss, and it's, it's very good. That's interesting. I think it came out in... The mid-2000s, maybe. Okay. Shop Girl. I'll yeah, have to check it out. Girl. It sounds really interesting. I, I like Steve Martin quite a bit. Yeah, Steve Martin's great in it. Claire Danes, I love her. Mm-hmm. I think she's such a great actress, and I've always loved Jason Schwartzman, and he's hilarious <laughs> in this. He plays a very quirky, quirky dude in it, so... Uh, Shop Girl, and if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. And the book's good, too. It's just a very short novella. What was it on? Do you remember that you watched it on? I have I have it on DVD. Oh, you. <laughs> um, I'm sure you can rent it stream or stream it, it or something some, somewhere. Okay. Yeah, Shop Girl is in Taylor's library. So. It, it is. It is. <laughs> it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also saw Turning Red, which was a Disney animation or Pixar. I think it was Pixar. And it streamed on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had a theatrical release. And it's about a young girl in Toronto who, I mean, it's an allegory for puberty, essentially. Um, kind of, I mean, menstrual cycle, really. And, and yeah, she, her family has this, like, I guess, curse where some of the women in the family turn into a red panda. And they kind of have to harness that and, like, come to terms with it. And, like, whenever she gets, like, heightened emotions, and, of course, this is a young teenage girl. So, again, it's it's alluding to puberty, mood swings, and all that good, you know, sort of thing. She literally turns yeah, into a stuff. big... Yeah, <laughs> she literally turns into a big, fluffy red panda. And she's trying to, like, navigate that. And, like, with her mom and all of her aunties and, um, yeah, set in Toronto. It's also set in the early 2000s. Or, no, 90s? Yeah, because there's, like, boy bands and mm. kind of, like, Backstreet Boy-esque or, like, NSYNC-esque boy band. Okay. Uh, Tamagotchis. Like, so it's set in, like, I'm pretty sure the 90s. Yeah. Like, the late 90s. 
and it's a Pixar movie, so. That's very cute. It sounds interesting. It's very interesting. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, so another movie was The Man from Uncle. <gasps> I so love good. that movie. It's a show, too. Oh, well, yeah. I've never seen the show, the one from, like, the 60s. Mm-hmm. I think you'd like the show. Okay. I'll have to check out the show, but the movie is with Henry Cavill. Um, I think her name's Al- Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander. Something like that, yeah. Um, She was in The Danish Girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Army Hammer is in it. And also Hugh... Oh, shoot. What's his name? Hugh Grant. Grant. Yeah, Hugh Grant is in it. And it's very, like, Cold War, Soviet, you know, East Berlin. um, Yeah, Cold War setting. Yeah. Spies. It's very interesting. I really like The Man from Uncle. There's, I think there are two versions also. There's the one that was done in the 60s, and there's a more modern version that's still set in the 60s, but I think it was a BBC. Oh. So that, I believe, is the one that I, I, I think I saw the one from the 60s, part of it, and then most of the one that was the more modern rendition of it. But the shows were very good, mm-hmm. so... And I actually didn't see the movie. I, I really want to, but... The movie is great. I mean, they do... I think it's uh, Guy Ritchie. Mm, okay. Yeah. Very cool. I love that you watched that. That's such a good one. Yeah. It's a it's a fun, entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other one, I think we rented, so is uh, Uncharted. So it's based on the... PlayStation video game mm-hmm. with Nathan Drake, mm-hmm. um, and so Tom Holland plays a young Nathan Drake, and then Mark Wahlberg plays Sullivan. So I I've played all the Uncharted games on the PlayStation, and then this movie comes out, and it was in development for like ever, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of talks with like who was gonna play Nathan Drake, who was gonna play Sullivan. And finally, you know, it was like, oh, it's going to be Tom Holland. But then, like, Mark Wahlberg was producing it, and he wanted to be Nathan Drake. But then I think the studios were like, you're kind of too old to be <laughs> Nathan Drake. So ageist of them. And My so, goodness. yeah. And so, like, he ended up playing, like, Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, the older mentor of Nathan Drake. And even then, it was like, Mark Wahlberg, really? Like, that Mm. seems like a weird casting choice. But honestly, watching it, I thought it was good. It was very entertaining. It definitely had those, like, set pieces that you have in the video game. Mm. It's very, like, kind of Indiana Jones-esque where, but, like, modern day where they're, like, treasure hunters. And so Nathan Drake is a kind of a... He has a lot of knowledge, like, you know, he can speak and read Latin and all these, like, old languages, and he's not, he's, but it's weird because he's not an archaeologist, he's not an anthropologist, like, he's explorer, puzzles, like, they find this old tomb, Mm -hmm. like, tomb, like a tomb raider type scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, like, these treasure hunters, and... There's a lot of swashbuckling and a lot of, like, hanging out of airplanes and... Yeah. Action-packed. It's very action-packed. And, yeah, Antonio Banderas plays the <gasps> villain in this. Oh, get out. Which I love Antonio Banderas. Me too. He still has it. He's, 
He still got it. What, what <laughs> a man. He, ever since I saw him in Spy Kids as the dad, yes. I had a huge crush on him. Me and, too. Oh my gosh. Which, doesn't that make you feel a little weird now? You're like, I was, oh, what, 10 years old watching that? I and was then very I had young when huge, Spy Kids came out. A huge crush on this man. And I remember deciding that I was going to ma- name my first child Antonio after Antonio <laughs> Banderas. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, I am so white. I am the whitest person you will ever see in your life. And I was going to name my child after Antonio Banderas. Like, what is wrong with me? But, oh my gosh. And it was like, what is... What fire has this man lit inside of me? I I think that was my sexual awakening was Antonio Banderas. That's hilarious because, yeah, I remember sitting in the theater with my mom watching Spy Kids and Antonio Banderas plays the dad. And I remember, and I don't know how old I was, but I was quite young. And I remember telling her, I'm like, oh, like Antonio Banderas, he's really cute. And my mom was like, what? Because, you know, he's like an older actor who, you know, definitely had his hotness heyday but like honestly he's aged very well smolder baby he's got it oh yeah. my gosh oh i love it. so yeah antonio Banderas plays the villain in uncharted but they kind of do him dirty so like he wasn't he didn't get the opportunity opportunity to play like the bad guy like mm. he was kind of a red herring, which was, oh. which I'm like, oh, I'm like they did Antonio dirty, like, oh. <laughs> he could have been so much more. Yeah, he could have. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, Uncharted. Okay, and these last two technically are not movies, but definitely worth mentioning. So I watched Our Flag Means Death. Okay, so Taika Waititi. Also, is, I was yes. actually gonna mention that because I have been watching that as well, and is. Very funny. Oh, I I love it. I love Reese Darby. He plays the dandy pirate. Yeah. The pirate captain. And since we're in Indiana, I'm not saying that you should smoke anything before watching this show, but if you happen to live in a state where smoking certain things is definitely legal, you should maybe try that and watch the show because it is quite enjoyable. I'm sure I'm sure it is. All always, but definitely that way. The (laughs) cast, it has such a great ensemble cast. The writing, the set, the costuming, like the character development. Each character is just so wonderfully portrayed. That's it's got kind of that in that same way, that office feel, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to know each person, and they all have their tropes and the things that, you know, you kind of expect out of them, mm-hmm. and they deliver fantastically. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And so if you're not familiar with it, it's about, I think it's set, I don't know, in 1700s maybe? Probably. Peak, peak pirating time, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And <laughs> Redbeard's like, age. Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, my I've, people call my dad Redbeard, so I get oh, mixed up. Oh, that's fair. Awkward. I feel like Redbeard is more of a Viking. Yes, it, but, yeah. accurate. Um, Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Yes. So it's set in the olden times of piracy, and Reese Darby plays this like well-to-do nobleman kind of a dandy and he is such a dandy yeah he's a dandy doodle daisy is what he is he is yeah so he's disillusioned with his life he finds it very mundane he's got like a wife and and kids but he's just 
you know, he's kind of disillusioned by everything. And one day he just decides to give it all up and become a pirate. And clearly he is not suited for piracy in any way. He believes in conflict resolution and, you know, anger management. And <laughs> But he's got a crew and he's got a pirate ship. And they, you know, sail the seven seas and try to do piracy, piratey things. But then along the way they meet Blackbeard and really find out what true pirating is. Mm-hmm. It's got great cameos. So, um, Leslie Jones. Yes. <laughs> cameos in it instead of Fred Armisen. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's great. It's very silly. And I think one of my favorite, like, it's one of the very first scenes, probably of one of the first episodes, but there's a... Um, a storm that the ship is in and our main character has this really prestigious library in his quarters and the ship is rocking back and forth and there are just books flying everywhere (laughs) and he's trying very hard to kind of keep everything in order but why would you ever have an open shelved library yeah. In your ship. I do not know. And yeah. neither does he at this point. Yeah. And it's just a very, like, sweet moment and sad yeah. <laughs> seeing them struggle with that. It's it's so silly. Honestly, yeah, the amenities on the ship, because he was a rich nobleman, so he was able to really, like, have a very cushy pirate ship built, apparently. And, yeah, mm. he's got, like, a full closet and a library and all this stuff, but... I love when he encourages his crewmates to sew the flags. The flags. Me too. And so they're and they're all encouraged to be, you know, artistic and creative and, you know, make a pirate flag and it's it's amazing. It's very fun. It's a good one. Okay, and what was your other one? So the other one is uh, Samurai Jack. Are you oh, familiar yes. with the cartoon? Yeah. Yep. So back in the day, Cartoon Network, it's a Gindy Tartrakoff. Tartakovsky animated series and it came out in like the early 2000s and a friend of mine recently lent me the box set of it because it had been years since I'd seen Samurai Jack Mm -hmm. and he was like you should you should watch it and I was like okay and so I watch it and it's so cinematic it's so the animation is amazing but it's funny because, like, the early seasons of it is four by three aspect ratio. But then they would do these ultra-wide uh, scenes to mm. make it very, like, sam- old, like, samurai films. Right. Like, they were very influenced by old samurai films. Like, and, you punch in and here's the action and mm-hmm. here's these things. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's, like, watching it as an adult, I was like, wow, this is, like high art like (laughs) it's just so amazing and then I guess they had a fifth season come out in 2017 which I wasn't as aware of because by then I was not watching Cartoon Network certainly Mm -hmm. um but they came out with season five like years later Mm. and it came out on Adult Swim and so they were able to make it a little bit more like adult oriented apparently like kind of more like gritty more violent you know that sort of thing but the audience for it had grown up like they were adults by then and so the fifth season it's amazing really yeah it's so good so um anyone who remembers samurai jack from back in the day 
If you haven't seen season five, definitely check it out because it elevates the story and it also finishes it up. Because Ooh. in season four, you don't really know what happens to Samurai Jack. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of ends. And it's like, oh, well, what happened? Like, did he complete his mission? Like, mm-hmm. you know, did he achieve his goals? Like, you just don't know because the show ended. Right. And I think it's so amazing that, like, 15 years later, they were able to finish it, you know, for season five. Yeah. But with kind of an adult audience in mind. I love that, too, because, I mean, your audience did grow up. Mm Mm-hmm. And with something, I love when you go back and watch something and you're, like, you remember really enjoying it, but you didn't hold on to the fact that it had these incredible cinematic moments or that the writing was good or whatever. You didn't really know why you liked it. You just liked it. Right. For the sake of it. Right. And then now, as an adult, you can go back and watch it and say, oh, this was really smart the way it was done. Yeah. So, Samurai Jack, I mean, it was five seasons, it was a bit of a commitment, because I think there's, like, 20-some episodes per season, but, mm. and they're, like, about 20 minutes each, so it was a bit of a commitment to do, but I did it. <laughs> I am thoroughly <laughs> impressed by your commitment. All right, well, I'm interested to hear all about the movies you've seen. Oh, my goodness. Well, here's the thing. I wrote down way too many films, movies, etc. because I was worried that I wouldn't remember everything because that's typical me. Like I, you know, I've had a year of absorbing content and a lot of stuff I'll rewatch if it's a favorite and a lot of new movies too. I just feel like the last two and a half, three years have all blurred together. Mm-hmm. So realistically, I had no idea what I had watched this year and what had been watched previously. So, and I told you this earlier, Taylor, but I went into my permissions on Netflix and Amazon Prime, and you have to like go into your parental permissions in order to view what has been watched on your account or whatever. So I had to like go in and select me as the account that I was previewing, like I was (laughs) the adult in the room or something. to like go through all of these movies. So I have a lot. I listed 31 movies, which is way too many, but I thought it would be fun to start off with um, Unbreakable because we had just talked about our not so super heroes, right? Mm -hmm. And you chose Unbreakable as your movie. And right after that, I was like, you know what? I want to watch Split and I want to watch Glass because it sounds really interesting. So I watched both of those movies and Holy cow, I have not watched a trilogy that got me so thrilled in such a long time because not only do these movies all come together at the end, it's always nice to see like sort of these separate universes melding together, but they are different genres of film, Mm -hmm. which I think is so cool. Because Unbreakable is, uh, I would say, like, action and drama. Split is definitely, totally a thriller. Mm-hmm. Definitely a thriller, a little bit of horror. It's it's a little gory. Um, I would say a lot of people probably wouldn't like it if they liked Unbreakable. You know, like, they don't go hand in hand. And then Glass has a totally different feel from that, even. So it is just a 
really smart way of building a story and building your characters. And each film, I think, supports the character so well because Glass is about clearly Glass, Doctor or Mr. Glass, Mr. Glass, Mr. Yeah. Glass, who uh, was introduced Samuel in Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, in yeah. Unbreakable, mm-hmm. and the themes that you see in Unbreakable are carried through the other films, but in a very specific way. So, like, the color coordination. And, yeah, it's just, oh, man, it is really good. Really, really good. Highly suggest if you were like, I've got a couple hours, I want to watch this trilogy, I want to get into something, knowing that also these films happened over the span of, like, 20 years mind-blowing so good it's very impressive and i would say if you're a person who kind of wrote off in night Shyamalan as like ugh, like he's, he's oh i he's did. lost his his you know his mojo or whatever mm-hmm. i would say watch these three films absolutely and at least give him give him another chance because he is he is a talented filmmaker he's definitely had hits and misses but i would say that these or this trilogy is very um i don't know it's kind of genius like the way that it's very creative it's very creative and i feel like it's an interesting way that a trilogy kind of formed in like a long game yeah like they didn't make i don't think they made unbreakable thinking like oh yeah this is gonna be a trilogy Mm -hmm. like it just kind of they wove they wove it in to Mm -hmm. the story yeah to something really fantastic and i think you had mentioned that um, Quentin Tarantino said that this was a, it was a really weirdly specific uh, time frame but this was one of the best superhero movies was mm. Unbreakable mm-hmm. and I wholeheartedly disagree with that but Unbreakable, Split, and Glass I think might be my favorite like origin trilogy yeah. it is such a good storyline and so well crafted Oh, it just really impressed me. It knocked my socks off. And I am also not a huge fan of In My Shot in Milan. Like, after Avatar, I was, I'd push that kid down on the playground, you know? Like, this is, <laughs> it really disappointed me. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was worth mentioning because I, yeah, I wanted to follow up and see what those were about. And they were very, very good. Um, another one, a more recent film that came out was The New Batman. Uh, I watched that. I actually did enjoy it. I thought it was pretty good. I think DC has had a rough trek these last um, 20 years and (laughs) hasn't seen a lot of successes. Uh, I think Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman was probably their first real success that they had seen in a while. I know a lot of people didn't like 84, which... I didn't love either, but it was fine. I personally, we talked about Thor. I didn't think it was any worse than the first Thor movie, but the first Wonder Woman film really set us up for something a little more fantastic than what we got. But Batman, it was good. I liked it. I thought it was fine. I love uh, Zoe Kravitz. I think she plays a really cool Catwoman. Yeah. thought that was a lot of fun. I love the penguin in this one. Actually, I think he might be my favorite penguin. Hmm. Um, he just does a really good... It's like a, a very realistic kind of mobster, you know? It's not 
over-dramatized, and I, I really liked that that vibe that you got from him. I thought that was a lot of fun. I haven't seen it yet. It's... The Batman. It's fun. It is fun. There are some I've moments... Heard, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, I... I... It wasn't the best movie I've ever seen. I thought that, um... Oh... I want to call him Edward because <laughs> of uh, <laughs> Twilight. Um, oh, Patterson. Chris Patterson? No. No. Something. Robert Patterson. Robert Patterson. Rob- Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Oh, Sorry. my gosh. That should not have been as hard as it no, was. No, it should not have been. Oh, my goodness. Cedric Diggory. <laughs> Cedric Diggory. <laughs> <laughs> Every character he's played except for Batman. Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't love him as Batman, honestly. Really? I thought he was kind of annoying, okay. personally. They didn't do a great job. They had these moments with... Um, the butler. I've had too much Prosecco. Alfred. Alfred. So they have these moments with Alfred where I think they're supposed to be tender and they made me laugh. And I don't think they were supposed to make me laugh. And so I just felt like they didn't do an, a good job of humanizing his character. Hmm. They kind of made him almost too far at the end of Stoic. So, meh. That's interesting, because, I mean, I have not seen it, but friends of mine said they loved it, and they're, like, big DC kind of, like, mm. Batman fa- fans, and I think they said um, they liked his performance, because it kind of made Batman more of kind of, like, like an emo kid. Like, he's kind of oh, this, like, emotional, sure. you know, you don't become a... a <laughs> A Batman vigilante because you're uh, emotionally you're cool. stable. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't need therapy. Right. No. Absolutely. I would agree with that. I d- he was definitely hardcore emo. Okay. You know, sure. like and spiky I, I belts, not... trip pants all the way. But... Okay, for sure. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't I can't really say anything about it. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could see that. I just wish they had done a little more. I don't know. There were, I think that they had opportunities that they didn't use fully, but I also liked the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, no qualms with it. I did enjoy it. It was fun to watch. So, and I cannot say that about every DC movie. So. I heard it was long. It is very long. Like long as hell. Yeah. It feels <laughs> long <laughs> when yeah. you are watching it. Okay. <laughs> but it is good. It is a good one. That's um, so that's a newer one I saw this year. I also, when we were preparing for our kaiju films, I really wasn't sure what to pick. So I watched like Godzilla d- the 2014 film. I watched Kong Skull Island. I watched like every <laughs> MonsterVerse film leading up to that. And that was actually a lot of fun. So if you've never done that, watch the MonsterVerse movies because that's another kind of like, uh, it's not a trilogy, but it's a series of films that because they came out over a long span of time, you don't really connect them. Mm-hmm. But when you watch them, I would say you watch them in the order that, not that they came out, but in the era that mm-hmm. they exist in, mm-hmm. which I thought was a so lot kinda of like fun. chronological. Yeah, watch it chronologically, not in the way that it came out, but in the way that the films are set, yeah. their settings are in. Because I thought that was cool. 
Um, I really, my favorite out of them is Kong Skull Island. I thought that was a really, really good film. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Another one that I watched this year was Bo Burnham Inside. Did you ever watch that, Taylor? I haven't watched it, but I've listened to the album many, many, many times. It's an incredible album. The film is beautiful and heartbreaking and fun and sad. And all of the the raw parts of you are going to feel kind of exposed in it and I don't think I've ever loved another person so unconditionally that I've never met before Mm -hmm. through film like this was just such a it was a beautiful piece of artwork and it was very vulnerable I can't believe it it didn't get acknowledged for hardly any awards like it kind of got snubbed both like grammys and emmys and all of that which i thought was interesting but honestly i kind of didn't realize it was a movie would Mm -hmm. you call it a movie oh yeah absolutely i didn't realize Mm -hmm. it was a movie i thought it was just an album it's kind of a documentary okay i would say i would call it more of a documentary than anything else and even then it feels more like a memoir Mm -hmm. because it's just him and what he's feeling and going through. Yeah, and I think the making of it's really interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen it, but I love the album. Definitely worth watching. I think that, too, a lot of people said, oh, it's really triggering, be careful when you watch it. And I, I would agree, but it really, up until, I'd say three-fourths of the film, is pretty manageable. It's really just that last quarter of the film where it hits hard, very, very hard. But up until that point, I felt like it was comfortable watching it. Like, I, you know, we've all gone through a lot of trauma. We've lived through a pandemic. <laughs> like, who, you know, what the fuck. But in this film, there were lots of funny moments and lots of good feelings that happened, too, that I think it would be a shame to not watch it because you're worried about the bad mm-hmm. of it. You know, I, I think it's a good balance of both. So for anybody that's kind of on the fence on that, it's it's worth your time for sure. Um, one of the, my favorite films that I watched this year was actually uh, Ryan the Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. Loved that film. Aquafina is just such a gem. And I actually just watched Crazy Rich Asians for yeah, the yeah. first time this year, too. Yeah. Which did not come out this year, but I... Well, neither of them did. Right. I was going to say, I think a lot of the films I actually got around to watching had not come out this year. Mm-hmm. So, that was... They were both wonderful. I really, really liked them. Um, it was... Yeah, Ryan the Last Dragon had this, like, amazing fight scene and this female friendship and enemy ship and all this really cool stuff that happens in it. So, like, it was really, as an adult, I was very excited to watch it, and it was really beautiful, too. I think my, one of my favorite parts are they're sort of walking through this, um, or going through this forest-ish area, and you have all of these really, like, traditional, almost, like, lantern-esque looking creatures and animals, and it's just, like, so, so beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful film, and it's the first Disney animated feature to 
depict like yeah south asian characters mm-hmm. which i thought was really interesting yeah that is interesting i didn't realize that mm-hmm. it was very cool very cool um i also watched don't look up which is another one that's a little triggering it's about the end of the world it's a lot of I don't even want to say fun. It's not that fun because it's quite sad. It's basically these people are just trying to convince the rest of the world that the world is ending and no one believes them and everybody's like, ah ha ha ha, now on to talking about these cute puppies that can do jumping jacks. And Meryl Streep plays the president. president. Yeah. And it's not just, so she's like a personification, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, she's a personification of like Trump, right? Mm. But she's not just him. She's She's a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah. I thought it was really, that commentary specifically, I found very interesting. And Jonah Hill being the, the son of Meryl Streep in it okay. is very interesting. Okay. I haven't seen it. Um, I Yeah, I heard that it's a kind of a depressing, disheartening movie to watch. It's depressing, but at the same time, I actually thought about it the other day in the shower, weirdly enough, but <laughs> it was the end of the movie I really enjoy because thinking about what I would do at the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rough, it, it is rough. I think, like, <laughs> it's hard to, Bo Burnham inside and Don't Look Up are both hard because they're very pandemic-focused, mm-hmm. and we're still living it. Like, it's yeah, not over it's yet. it's still happening, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, another one I watched this year was The Starling, which I actually really enjoyed. It has Melissa McCarthy in it. It's kind of a, you know, self-realization kind of thing. I really like Melissa McCarthy. There's not much that she's in that I don't enjoy. So I think some people are very, like, hot and cold on her pretty really polarized. I love Melissa McCarthy there are a lot of I people that do not but I think everything she's, she does is amazing I think she's <laughs> lovely and I I thought the starling was very sweet it made me cry it was not my favorite film of hers but it was not my least favorite either it was really good um I watched senior year which came out recently with rebel Wilson I think it's on Netflix And it is silly, goofy, ridiculous. It's about a girl that her senior year, she's cheerleading, gets dropped on her head, goes into a coma for, like, 30 years or something like that, and then wakes up, and her goal is to, like, become prom queen. So it's very silly, and I really enjoyed it. (laughs) So it's a good, like, throw-on-the-TV kind of film. The Adam Project was fun, too, that had, um, oh my gosh, he plays Deadpool. Um, oh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. It has Ryan Reynolds in it. He's, it's a time travel kind of thing. I thought it was cute. I liked it. It was pretty good overall. No qualms with it. I think that's also maybe a, a Netflix original. But I think so, yeah. I thought it was sweet. One that I did go back and watch was Team America, World Police, which is with the puppets. It's like, America, oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, America. See yeah. the motherfucking world, yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. So good. Love it. Uh, went back and watched 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. That was funnier than I remember it being, actually. It was good. Uh, Jeff Goldblum coming back into play. I, vibes is one of my 
all-time favorite movie. It's got Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper starring in it, and it is freaking gold. If I'll you've never to, seen I've it, I've never seen it. I'll have to check it out. They 1988. Uh huh. Wow. They're both uh kind of. They've got these like telepathic powers and. They end up going on an adventure together, searching for this item, and it is just so ridiculous and incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm looking at the poster, and it's giving me, like, Bill and Ted vibes. It's, (laughs) yes, but less intentionally funny. Okay. (laughs) Which I think makes it even better. I love it. Oh, it's like, it's my, I think it's my favorite Jeff Goldblum movie actually wow. it's so he's like itty bitty baby too he's so young in it um it's a lot of fun I would okay. definitely suggest watching it um I also saw the unbearable weight of massive talent I heard that's really good Nicholas Cage starring Nicholas Cage and it was very fun I really enjoyed it it wasn't like it was just very well done for what it was it could have been total trash in it wasn't very enjoyable I thought it was great I think yeah you might have to I think we had to rent it or something but it was really really good also saw Spider-Man No Way Home enjoyed that Rewatched Shaun of the Dead mm, which classic Simon Pegg Edward you're right always has room in my book yeah. every time so yeah. good uh same with The Heat Melissa McCarthy and um Oh my gosh. Uh, Miss Congeniality. What am I trying oh, to Oh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Uh, so good. They were so good together in that. Men in Black. Rewatched that. That was actually a lot grosser than I remember. It's yeah. very creepy. Like, I remember as a kid being really, really into it. And then as an adult, I could... There were moments when I had to look away. It's just like really, really icky. <laughs> 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 Which is like fine, but... Ugh. Um... The movie Us was really, really good. I It's quite scary. It was the... Is it the, the second Jordan Peele film that came out? Oh, um, The Scissors. Yeah, that yeah. was quite freaky. I've seen, um, like, the trailers, and then I was in an airplane where somebody, like, next to me was watching it, and I, like, couldn't even. I was like, nope, nope, nope. I, you know, it was really well done, but... I, it looked so scary. It was something where it was like, it was one of those films in the middle of it. I really liked it. And then at the end, looking back on some things, there were a lot of ends that they didn't tie up. There was hmm. stuff that didn't quite make sense. Hmm. And in the ending of it, I didn't love and it felt really long. So, meh. Take that as you will. There were things that I didn't love about it. That's fair. Um, but it was okay. It was really scary, I thought. It was very, like, freaky, the idea of it. But the build-up was very, very good. And just thought the execution at the end was not not as great. Um, what We Do in the Shadows, which is a TV show now that they have out, but the movie oh. is so good if you have not seen it. Very, I very good. I love what we... What we do in the shadows. Isn't that a... It's like mockumentary gold. Isn't Taika Waititi mm-hmm. in What We Do in the Shadows? We're he just like... Wrote, he wrote... 
Did he do the TV show too? A producer. Producer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so the okay. TV show was like a spinoff, and yeah, I think he was, him and Jermaine Clement were like co-writers, and I'm not sure who directed the movie, but like they definitely mm-hmm. were like writers, collaborators mm-hmm. on the movie, and then with the TV show, they're more like producers, right. and, they do ca- and they do cameo on the show every, every once in a while, but yeah, that movie is phenomenal. I could watch that, like so many All times the time. and it's still it, it's funny every every damn time it's so good it's it, it just so such good comedic timing in that film it's just that Wonderful. like nice like new zealand kind of kiwi dry humor and that like documentary style filmmaking too i think it just like it's the perfect yeah, m- mech- mixture of it. I don't know. I love so I love good. a good mockumentary. And for those who don't know what we do in the shadows, the movie is a mockumentary about vampires who are roommates. And that's, that's really it. all. And that's really all you need to know. <laughs> that's all you need to know. And it's amazing. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> Watch it. Yes. And then Lamageddon, which is. <laughs> terrible and very good all at the same time it's about llamas from space that come to earth and all right are killing people so it's very much like a sharknado kind of vibe right uh so if you're in the mood for that llamageddon highly recommend and then the two movies that i saw this year in theaters i only saw two it was multiverse of madness and the new jackass movie um, which is silly, but Multiverse of Madness, absolutely worth seeing in theaters. I loved it. It was, yeah, probably, I would say it's my favorite Marvel film to date. Wow. Um, but I, again, I, I like a little bit of a darker vibe to it. I guess, like, it, it just, it had some elements that I felt like the, the other ones haven't especially as far as storyline goes. I just thought it was really clever the way it was done. And then Jackass was actually very entertaining, I gotta say. You know, as much as I love a good uh, script and, you know, pretty cinematography, Jackass had neither of those, and it was still very funny to me. So, lots of good laughs and fun to see on a big screen honestly (laughs) it was like the perfect way after having not been in a theater for a very long time and just feeling the weight of everything in the world going and watching a completely ridiculous movie like that felt really good so those were some of my movies that I hit up this year I'm sure there are more that I'm missing but a lot of tv shows too like you were saying like just Shows upon shows upon shows. I just started one called Minx, which I love. It's essentially, I told you this earlier, but about the first Playgirl magazine, kind of. Um, And then I just finished Made, which was really good. Very sad, pretty triggering, but about a... The Netflix one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was very well done. Wow. Very, very well done. It's good. It's dark. It kind of reminds me a little bit of The Room. It kind of gives me that same feeling Mm -hmm. watching it. Yeah. But it was, it's a mini series and it was very hard to stop watching. Yeah. Um, But yeah. All right. Well, that was a really great list. 
And yeah, I mean, we still have lots of 2022 left to go. And I know that there's a lot more great movies that are yet to come out that I'm looking forward to. I think that we have done our due diligence in (laughs) movie watching. And I'm impressed that we... Honestly, that we watched as much as we have. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of movies outside of the podcast because I'm like, I feel like I've watched a lot of movies, but then it's like, well, I've been watching movies for the podcast. For the podcast, yeah, so, exactly. And a lot of them were, are movies that I've never seen before, but mm-hmm. uh, so thinking of movies that I just watched for fun in my free time, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to really think about that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, some really awesome ones in... I think it's nice that we, yeah, saw some new ones, and especially after a couple years of not really seeing, like, there was a whole year of really not seeing new movies, which was very sad to me, because we couldn't go to theaters, and it's still, now there's a, you know, release on streaming or on Disney Plus, you can pay to watch the movie and things like that, which is great for me personally. I think that's really nice to be able to do. But, yeah, just having that opportunity to see new things that are coming out without having to go to the theaters, which I do love that experience and I miss it a lot. But obviously for safety reasons and, you know, even for us, it's more accessible than for other people, too. So, yeah, it's been been a long year, couple of years. Oh, for sure, yeah. And a lot of the productions have been, you know, delayed and are still getting delayed. And Mm -hmm. so the industry is really trying to bounce back and, like, theaters Mm -hmm. especially because, you know, theatrical releases were were not theatrical releases. They were no. they were just being launched on streaming platforms. So, like, mm-hmm. the theaters really suffered. So getting people back out to see the movies, I think, you know, kind of big tentpole action summer blockbuster-type movies have, have done a decent job of getting people back out into the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about the box office, you know, which we... We do. We talk about we how well these films have done, and, and that's how we've always gauged it, and it's looking different now. It is. And, I mean, even platforms like Netflix, they didn't used to um, release numbers Mm-mm. publicly. So, and some platforms don't. So, you know, gauging how successful movies are looks different these days. Like, how many eyes are on it? Like, right. you can't just go and look at box office numbers. But there's so many platforms that they, they don't, they don't release their numbers. No. So it's it's interesting, you know. Yeah, it's harder to see that data, and also, I mean, it just makes me very thankful for all of the people who have been working and continue to work in the industry to make film happen, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of risk associated with that. Um, and a lot of people who have lost their jobs over the last couple of years because the work wasn't there. And it's a luxury to be able to take a break and then come back to it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people were not able to manage that. So no. it's been a hard year and couple of years for film. So the people that are really on the ground doing the hard work of making this happen... Um, 
yeah, they're like front line <laughs> to me. You know, storytelling is the most powerful form of information sharing and it's so important. It can't stop. Yeah, and some of these productions that were, you know, functioning over the pandemic, they were in their own little bubbles. So a lot of these, you know, cast and crew members, uh, you know, everyone involved in production weren't maybe able to see their family members. They were kind of isolated because of the nature of their work and trying to get, you know, things shot on budget and on time. They had to make a lot of sacrifices. And same thing with, like, mom and pop theaters. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost a lot of money because films weren't, being theatrically released you know there was obviously the lockdown and and yeah movies were going straight toward straight to streaming and I know Pixar in particular they haven't had a theatrical release since I think March 2020 and those Pixar movies were always big money makers for theaters because Mm -hmm. that's what you know families with kids would go out and see it together and they would release around the holidays and we haven't seen a Pixar theatrical release for years now, which well, is crazy. And even in local theaters that are not just mom and pop, you know, they're not getting as many films in as they were before. Right. Because staffing is low and also they just can't afford it. You know, there's there's a cost you have to pay yeah. to get those films in your theater. And so, you know, we our access is limited to just as theirs is. And a lot so. of those theaters have had have had to make um, concessions with studios. So like I think AMC had to write a contract with um, I can't remember what studio it was, but yeah, it was like an eight like an eight week window or like the window between theatrical release and VOD, so that's video on demand, it, that window is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And theaters are really um, seeing that impact negatively because decision-making with, like, am I going to see this in the theater is really impacted by, like, how soon can I just see this on how soon can I stream this or how soon can I do VOD at home? Is it worth going to the theater or should I just wait? And so, and so during the pandemic, some of those contracts were rewritten to really benefit studios because theaters were desperate. Mm. And so, I mean, it's going to be an ongoing issue between the studios and the theaters because in some, which I think the Academy Awards has definitely change their rules but their rule used to be like to be nominated you have to have a theatrical release yeah i don't which think i think that's, that's still i'm not sure if that's still the I rule that changed or not because obviously that was an issue with netflix mm-hmm. so netflix was producing these big you know films that they wanted to be nominated for academy award and so what they would do is obviously it'd be streaming on netflix but they would do a very short run theatrically like in la or like bigger cities so maybe that's the case maybe that's what i was thinking because you know a lot of films we're in indiana Mm -hmm. so a lot of films that are released theatrically might not make it yeah they'll never make it here right and so to me it like it never existed right they'll be released for like 
three weeks in New York City or LA, mm-hmm. and the, and that counts right to the academy. Kind of so, cuts that corner a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So the the landscape for yeah the film industry is ever changing, but the the pandemic has definitely like escalated and kind of accelerated some of these um, trends we were seeing towards like streaming VOD theatrical release and like how that timeline looked mm-hmm. for like these movies so yeah yeah thank you so so much to everybody who has been listening from the beginning and for everybody who is just joining now um it means a lot to us that we've made it through one year of this podcast I know that it's kind of a a bit of a labor of love for Taylor and I, and it's something we're passionate about and we're really excited to share with everyone on here. And we're so, so very thankful to Emily Butler for joining us today to present a new cocktail and to kind of join in this celebration with us. Um, It has been a wild, wild ride, but I think we both really enjoyed where it's brought us and where it's going and we can't wait to continue on for another year of podcasting with you guys yes thank you so much for listening uh yeah i echo riley and that it's been a learning experience but it's also been a, a true joy just to 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 do this podcast and to to be able to kind of uh, watch movies and drink cocktails and talk about it and I mean it's it's my favorite so as always you know you can find us on social media you can follow us on Instagram we'll pay, post our new episodes and we'll also post our cocktail recipes you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or any, anywhere you listen to podcasts you can subscribe um, you can also leave us a review that is all very very important um and that means a lot to us because that 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 gives us feedback which is really valuable but it also makes us more relevant in searches so if you uh have have the time definitely leave us a review (laughs) and let us know what you think you know we always love feedback if you have any ideas for different themes we can do or different movies you know to watch we're all always looking for recommendations so as always thanks for listening Thank you so much. And don't forget to correct us when we're wrong. <laughs> we yes. know you love to do that too, which yes. is so helpful for us because, you know, we're all learning here and getting better and growing. Oh, right? yeah. I'll, yeah, miss say names and all sorts of things. So, yeah. Literally always. <laughs> we, yeah, we will try to continue to do corrections corners when we miss, misspeak. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Taylor said, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.